it's, it's the Golgot. Let him allow me to share this morning. And two things I want to say sorry for. Sorry for the long reading. And also, sorry that I'm, I'm using the new international version. You're using the ESV. So points to you. <laughs> well, you might be thinking, uh, why have I chose to read this passage with you this morning? Uh, why have I chosen to look at it with you? Well, the reason why I want to share uh, from Psalm 22 with you this morning is because it's a great passage for uh, reminding us about how great God is and getting us excited about God. And as we do that, uh, my hope is that uh, you'll get excited about sharing this great message with other people, that it'd create a fire in your belly to share with other people. Well, that's the hope anyways. We'll see how we go. <laughs> well, first of all, I wanted to uh, share with you a story that helps you to get into the shoes of the psalmist. Um, uh, so, yeah, so the story is from World War II, a little bit closer, not really close, but close enough. So there was an English soldier whose name was Eric Lomax. So a few years ago, uh, they actually made a Hollywood movie about him. And I'll show you the slide now. Yep, Railway Man, a really good film. I really encourage you to go and see it. But I'll just warn you, uh, you will get angry and uh, it will make your blood boil. Well, a few years ago, they, uh, so they did this movie. And so they talked about Eric Lomax, who was captured when Singapore was overrun by Japanese troops. So Lomax was sent to a Japanese prisoner of war camp in Thailand. And what they made them do was they made them work on the Thai-Burma railway. And while he was there, he and some of the other prisoners were secretly gathering electronic parts from vehicles that were broken down around the, the camp. And they'd gather these parts uh, because they were trying to make a radio receiver. They did this to try and cheer up the other uh, American prisoners or English prisoners with news broadcasts from America. But Eric was found out. He was caught to be the leader of this operation. And the Japanese officer, they, uh, they captured him. Uh, and they refused to believe that this device that he made was simply a radio. But they accused him of making a two-way radio and sending information to the Allied forces. So what they did was they, they tortured him severely. They tortured him so severely that his friends and his torturers, well, they were actually amazed that he was still alive. They tortured him by locking him in a small bamboo cage, no bigger than a doghouse, out in the hot sun. They tortured him by not giving him food for weeks and weeks. And they would also frequently drag him out and question him again and again about the device he made. And these interrogations would always end with a beating. And on one occasion, they tried to mix things up. They actually tied his arm to one of the devices. You might recognize that the officers had uh, katanas and they had uh, display uh, things. They had a stand for it. They tied him to the stand on a table, his arm, and they broke it by hitting it with a stick of bamboo. They even did something to him called waterboarding. So they were, this is where they'd tie people down to a table that was on an incline, and they'd cover his, their face with a, with a cloth, and then they'd go and pour water from the head down. The idea was that the person would feel like they were constantly drowning. And this would go on for hours. 
Well, Lomax, while he was a prisoner of war, he was at his lowest. He was barely alive. In fact, for him, life was worse than dying. Well, how does this make you feel when this kind of thing happens to people? How would you feel if you were Lomax? Wishing to die, but not being able to. Well, Lomax's situation is wrong. Because when people suffer to the extreme and there's nobody to help, this is wrong. But in situations like that, who will help? Who will help when things are very, very bad? Well, today, I have good news for you, and you might know it already. And that good news is that God rescues his people. God rescues his people. That's what our psalm today is all about. Today, we look at a prayer of a person who trusts God. And he even trusts, uh, and he even trusts God in a situation which is a bit like Eric Lomax's situation. But why does the psalmist think that his situation is a problem? What's the problem he's facing? Well, first, the psalmist shows us that when people suffer extremely, but God does not help, this is a very big problem. When God does not rescue his people, this is a very big problem. So in your outlines, if you've got one of those uh, outlines from the back, uh, you can fill this out. It's a big problem when God is far away. It's a big problem when God is far away. We see this is a big problem for the psalmist because God is not just a God that he doesn't know. The psalmist calls him my God. We see this in verse 1 when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he means to say is really in the next line, if you have a look at it with me there. He says, why are you so far from saving me, God? So the psalmist knows his God and he has a close relationship with his God. But for some reason, God is far away and he doesn't come to help him. And then the psalmist goes on to explain why it is that God should help him. Well, he says that God is enthroned as the Holy One of Israel in verse 2 and 3. What he means is that God is a king over his people, the Israelites, uh, of whom the psalmist is one of. God is not just the God of the psalmist's people, but he's the king of his people. And what does a good king do? Well, he's meant to look after for the good of his people. But for some reason, God isn't listening to the psalmist and he doesn't help. This is simply not right. The psalmist says that in the past, his ancestors trusted God to help him. And when they called out to God for help, God would save them. But now for some reason, God doesn't help. So the psalmist says that he's treated like a worm by other people. He's like a worm because worms destroy your gardens. So I'm of the knowledge that some people in this congregation are gardeners. 
and uh, and and you understand that when worms come into your vegetable garden, vegetable patch, and they eat all that you've worked hard to grow. So once upon a time, people relied on uh, the things that they grew to survive. And when worms come and eat them, you, you hate worms, right? Uh, so that's what the Israelites were like. They relied on the things they grew. Well, worms are something people hate. So the people hated the psalmist like a worm, like a pest. But why did they hate him? Well, they hated him because he was always talking about God, about trusting in him. That's, he's like a broken record, keeps talking about that. One thing, always trusting God to rescue him. But now people see that this person is in trouble. This God he trusts doesn't help him. So this psalmist, quite frankly, looks stupid. Stupid for trusting God so much. So quite naturally, people tease him. So the psalmist complains about this to God. He tells God that people tease him for trusting God. This is especially bad for the psalmist because, like we heard about, he didn't feel like he chose to trust God himself. But God made the psalmist trust him. We see this in verse 9 and 10. The psalmist says that God has put him in a family who trusts God. So the psalmist feels like God made him trust him. So God should feel responsible for making him trust him. What we see here is like a, uh, when someone gains your trust, when they're selling something to you. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, I went to buy a car for our family. Uh, my wife and my youngest son, Ever uh, just had my youngest son, Everett. And we needed a reliable car that could fit our whole family comfortably, particularly when we went away on trips. And while we were at Bible college, well, we really didn't have too much money spare. Uh, so I had to buy a second-hand car. And uh, the, I found the car we have now, the silver Toyota Avensis. It's parked outside. Um, but when I went to inspect the car, when I went to buy it at the previous owner's house, uh, he told me that everything was all up to date with servicing and parts. Um, but I made sure to press him, you know, to make sure he was telling the truth. Because he said he was moving back overseas shortly. In fact, that's why he was selling the car. But he reassured me, the car is good. Trust me. <laughs> uh, so I trusted his word. Uh, and I bought the car off him, and it's a, for a pretty good price. And everything was great for a while. You might say too good. But two months later, my wife went for an orientation day at a preschool for my eldest son. Um, but when she got back in the car after, it wouldn't start. Uh, she, was, she was stuck with a baby under six weeks old uh, and a three-year-old. Uh, so she gave me a call. And then I came to the rescue. Uh, then I took the car to the mechanics, puzzled uh, to investigate the problem. And it turns out that uh, my car hadn't been properly serviced for the last five years. So it was serviced by a friend, but none of the parts were uh, replaced. <laughs> so the alternator and many other parts needed replacing. In the end, the car wasn't a good deal. It turns out the owner wasn't telling the truth. And the person selling me the car wasn't as trustworthy as he, he might have seemed. Even though he made me trust him. Well, that's what the psalmist feels like in this situation. God made him trust him, 
by putting him in a family of people who trust God, people who taught him to always trust God. But now this God was not delivering on his word. God was not acting like someone worthy of his trust. Well, haven't you felt like that before? Like when you're a Christian and you go along or you go along to a church, um, but you're having a tough time. Actually, it's even harder when you go along to a church and you're a Christian and you're not having a tough time. But it's hard for you to be excited about God. And you just don't know what to do. And you're tempted somehow beyond logic to, to not talk to God. And maybe because you feel like, you know, uh, you're distant. Well, the psalmist reminds us that in these times, we're still to call out to God. In fact, all the more we should call out to God. In fact, this is what the psalmist does. The psalmist knew better than to just give up. The psalmist kept calling out to God, like he always did, trusting that God would eventually rescue him. When God is far away, call out to God. That's the second point of the psalm. When God is far away, call out to God. We see this in verse 11 when the psalmist says, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. So what the psalmist is saying to God is, Please, God, don't be far from me when trouble is near. And he explains to God in more detail why he, why he needs God to help him in this situation. Well, it's because he's absolutely helpless. We see this because he uses whatever language he can muster to try and explain how extremely helpless he is. So first he explains that he's surrounded by enemies who are like strong bulls and lions. So these are animals that you don't want to run into in the wild. Because if you do, they'll kill you, even if you're strong. But the, unfortunately for the psalmist, he's not strong. So he explains that his enemies surround him a bit more like weaker scavenging animals, like dogs. We see this in verse 16. They surrounded him and began to eat his flesh like dogs. So this is a bit strange and maybe a bit graphic. But, uh, but what dogs did in ancient times is they roamed around cities looking for food and uh, sometimes do dogs still do that today. And what they do is they look around for the city for food, on the streets, in rubbish bins, things like that. And uh, sometimes when they're desperate, they'll even eat the dead bodies of people who die in the streets. Well, that's, the, that's what the psalmist sees himself as. Well, people even steal the psalmist's clothes because he's too weak to fight back. This is how weak the psalmist is. He feels like he's been eaten alive by his enemies and he's too weak to fight back or run away. The psalmist says that he's like a jar of water wasted by being poured out on the ground. And you can see his bones sticking out because he's starving to death. And his heart has melted like wax. He's no longer got any courage left to even face his enemies. In other words, the psalmist feels like he's completely exhausted. He's at his wit's end. He is 
defeated. And he's about to die. And the psalmist knows that the reason he is the way he is, well, it's no coincidence. It's, it's because God has let it happen. He tells God this in verse 15 when he says, You, God, lay me in the dust of death. Sounds strange for him to say this, but maybe it shows how desperate he is or that he has trust that God is in control. Because he knows that God is supposed to protect his people. But for some reason, this time he hasn't. The psalmist keeps calling out to God for help, though, because God is all the psalmist has got. That's why the psalmist calls God his strength in verse 19. And this time he needs God to come quickly because he's going to die soon, real soon. But will God come to the rescue this time? Will God come to help him? Well, yes, he does. God does finally come to help him. And in some versions, like, like my inferior version, the New International Version, um, it, it's harder to see. But at the end of verse 21, in any version you look at, there's a clear change in the, the mood of the psalm. Other translations of the word here are not, God, please rescue me from the horns of wild oxen. But instead, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. You see this in versions like the English Standard Version that you have today. So God does finally answer the psalmist's prayer. So the psalmist was in a bad situation. He really needed someone to help. It was a bit like something that happened in New York a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, a teenage girl in New York whose name is Kayla Rose this is her on the picture, was going for a walk with her dog just outside her house. And while she was taking a walk uh, past the cars in front of her house, she heard someone yelling and knocking and scratching inside of a car boot. So she didn't know what to do. So she went to a neighbour to ask for help because her parents had gone to work already. Her neighbor tried to open the car boot with a crowbar, but unfortunately couldn't open it. So her neighbor called the police and they came and they opened the car boot. And it turns out that the man who was trapped inside the car, well, he'd been robbed and kidnapped. The man had, uh, a man had forced him uh, to empty his bank accounts in a few, at a few ATMs uh, before beating him up and then tying him up and throwing him in the back of his own car. So what this man did was he called out for help at a time where he was completely helpless. He was going to die. And if you look closely at the picture, it was the middle of winter. If nobody found him in time. But thankfully, someone finally heard him. Thankfully, Kayla Rose heard him and rescued him. That man was very thankful that Kayla heard him that day. He was thankful that she rescued him before it was too late. Well, this is like what the psalmist, uh, God did for the psalmist in our passage today. Well, if this happened in our psalm today, what does the writer want us to do? Well, he wants us to follow his example, doesn't he? He wants us to call out to God for rescue, like he did, not being afraid to tell God how we really feel. 
This is how confident the psalmist is in his relationship with God. Or maybe it's just how desperate he was in that situation. Well, when you desperately need help, even if you are about to die, the psalmist encourages you to keep calling out to God for help. Especially if you're someone who knows God. God is the one you're meant to call out to for help. In fact, the psalmist recommends that the best thing for God's people to do when they suffer extremely is to call out to God. Because the fact that God cares for and rescues His people should be the premise of us calling out to God for help. It should motivate us to call out to Him. Well, it's no surprise that uh, the words of this psalm are repeated by Jesus. So we hear Jesus speak about these words in Matthew 27, uh, verse 46. It says, About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out, cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma, sabachthani, which is Aramaic for the first two lines of this psalm. That's, no, that's not by chance. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. Because Jesus knows that this is how God wants us to respond to the most severest of suffering. To call out to Him for help when we are at our lowest possible point. And even then, trusting that God can deliver us. Even as Jesus is hung up on the cross and faces the worst of suffering, He, like the psalmist, is abandoned by God. God isn't helping him. Jesus has been calling out to God for help. Remember how uh, Jesus was praying all night that God might somehow allow him not to die and be abandoned by God as he's punished for everyone's sins. Jesus is also someone who has always trusted God ever since he was born, just like the psalmist. And Jesus' mouth would have been dry. In fact, that's why they offered him wine and vinegar to drink. His bones were on display, just like the psalmist. And because he'd been beaten, his body was bruised and bleeding all over. And worst of all, he's being mocked by others for doing what's right. He is the son of God, yet he's being killed for saying that he's the son of God. How ridiculous. He trusts God. But people are mocking him for doing what. God wants him to do, which is trust him. Jesus was dying and he desperately needed God's help. But why was Jesus in this situation? Why was Jesus in this situation? Well, we find out in 1 Peter 2.24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And he's quoting Isaiah here. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus' suffering was for us, for you. Jesus was dying to pay for all of our sins so that anyone who believes in him would be forgiven of the things they did wrong. But the interesting thing about Jesus is that even though he died in the end, well, God raised him back to life. So for us today who believe in Jesus, God promises that if we believe in Jesus, we'll be brought back to life as well. He tells us this in 1 John eleven twenty five, when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Even if we die. If we keep trusting God to help us like he helped Jesus, he will. And we will live forever. So even though we might suffer horribly like Eric Lomax in World War II, even if we suffer doing what we know God wants us to do, like Jesus, trusting Him, even if we die, God can help us and God will help us. But today, if you're sitting there and maybe you're not one of God's people, you don't trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you to think about becoming one of God's people. Because you can. And because not only will God help you in life, He can even help you even if you die. Also, something else the psalmist calls us to do is to encourage others to call out to God, to be not afraid of forgetting to call out to Him when we need help. That's what He calls us to do. Well, is that all? All the psalmist wants us to know about praying to God, just ask God for things, and if you ask God, He'll help us. Is that all? Well, Yes, but also there's more left in the psalm, quite a lot more. The psalmist shows us that when God rescues his people, we should praise him for how good he is as well. When God rescues us, we should praise him. When God rescues us, we should praise him. The psalmist shows us that it's right for people to praise God when he rescues them. He shows us that because he promises to praise God in public, that's what the psalmist does next. God saves him and he promises to praise him. After God has rescued him, we see this in verse 22. And the words he says to praise God are what we have left in the rest of the psalm. First, the psalmist encourages other people who know and trust God to praise him. He encourages them to praise him because he knows that when his people are suffering, he listens and he will help them. The psalmist praises God because God has rescued him. So he delivers on his promise to praise God. He praises God because of what God is like in verse 26 to 31. Well, what's God like? Well, God always rescues his people and he's always done it throughout history. When God's people are poor but trust him to help, well, they're satisfied and live forever. Verse 26. In fact, God is so good at rescuing his people that The psalmist says that everyone on earth will find out about this one day and recognize that God is actually so good. And they'll worship him as king. The king who can rescue because he has power. Power over the whole world. In fact, all people will know that he is the king and bow down to him, whether they are people who trust him or not. Because God rescues his people and keeps them alive. People will always worship God. People will always know how good He is for rescuing His people. Even people who haven't been born yet will one day know how good God is. That's how much the psalmist knows that God is good. Because when God rescues His people, they tell other people about how good He is. This always happens. And finally, the psalm explains why it is the case. Well, it's because God... God is not inactive. God is an active God, not a God who does nothing.
Well, uh, October in October last year on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, uh, these two uh, 11-year-old boys went for a swim at the beach. And I guess you know where this is going. <laughs> but the day, uh, that day, there was a strong current pulling them out uh, far into the ocean. So they usually swim there and it's fine. But this day's different. And after trying to swim against the current back to the sand, they were getting tired and exhausted and they started to panic. Uh, the boys started calling out for help. Uh, so unpatrolled beach, by the way. Thankfully, there was a man and his girlfriend going for a walk on the beach. This is them. They saw these two boys struggling and calling out for help, about to drown. So this couple did something extraordinary. They actually jumped in the water to try and save these boys. I think the girl is a lifeguard herself. And in the end, all four of them were brought back to shore and the boys were taken to hospital, but they were okay. They both survived. Well, this is a good story. But if this story ended there, something would be missing. So what happened next was a few days later, the boys met up with that couple who rescued them. Oh, that's the mum, by the way, not, not the girl. And when these boys saw this couple, they couldn't stop praising them. They were so excited. These boys were so thankful that this couple had saved them at the beach that day. That the, they even told the couple this. They said, thank you for saving our lives. We probably wouldn't be here without you. So the boys praised and thanked this couple because they had rescued them. They saved their lives. No small thing. They thanked them because this couple, they listened. They listened to them when they called out for help. They were active when they needed help. Well, in our psalm today, we learn that just like this couple, God is active. God saves his people when he calls out to them. So we should praise and thank God for saving his people. Well, having heard the psalmist talk about his situation and how God helped him when he called out for God, to God for help, we should call out to him for help when we need help and keep calling out to him. And when he answers our prayer and rescues us, we should remember to praise him. Yes, quietly in our prayers but also by telling other people about it too. We need to remember that we too, like the psalmist, like Jesus, we're in a desperate situation. But we're a bit different. So the psalmist seems pretty righteous. Jesus is, we know, is righteous. But we're not. We're sinners. And our desperate situation is that we haven't done the right thing with God. And God's coming to us in judgment and we're helpless. We should remember and always thank God for sending Jesus. Because what God has done for us in Jesus, well, it's, it's actually amazing. It's so amazing that we ought to share it with anyone we can. Because we know that he sent his son Jesus to die for all the things we did wrong. To give us a hope beyond death. Well, sadly, people are in horrible situations in our world all the time. Like Eric Lomax in World War II, some of them are evil, even people who believe in God, like we heard about uh, last week or a few weeks ago uh, with the Sri Lankan bombings. And sometimes it seems like there's nobody who will help us 
when we're in trouble. But you know what? Who in the world will help when things are very bad? Who in the world will help when things are very bad? Well, it ain't the Avengers. (laughs) Well, there's one person in the world who will always rescue his people. God always rescues his people. Don't forget that. It's easy to take that for granted. It's great news. That's why they call it good news. So call out to him. Praise him always for rescuing us. Let this exciting news lead you to tell others about what God has done for you and what he can do for them. Well, how about I finish by praying for us? Would you please join me? Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you have saved us and you helped us in a desperate situation before and you help us in a desperate situation now. I pray that you would help us to remember that it is so good that you've saved us and we thank you for that. Help us not to take it for granted. I thank you that you put things in our lives which are hard to help us to remember this, but we're sorry that we never remember. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember uh, your words today, which we need, and help us to share uh, how great it is to know you, to be saved by you, and the help that you can give with people we know. We pray these things in Jesus' name.